This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. Hi, I'm Greg Watson, and welcome to this week's show of Property Matters, where we talk all things property. Fantastic having your company. There's been lots happening recently, and we'll start with a little bit of local news, a little community fundraising news. Then we'll look at what's happening with uh, rent controls, which have been in the media a little bit lately. And also I'll try and have my popular segment of bad landlord, bad tenants, which is something that is usually a bit of a warning for people on how they should behave. Now, when it comes to property, one thing that is affecting our area is the number of projects that are happening at the moment, large-scale projects that are bringing people into the area, and one of those is the Manawatu Tararua Highway. So now there's a community fundraiser which offers a chance to walk the new highway, which is pretty cool. This fundraiser will give people the exclusive opportunity to view the ground being made on the new replacement highway for the Manawatu Gorge. It offers a scenic walk over the Tararua Range following the route of Tiahu a Turanga Manawatu Tararua Highway on May the 23rd. And this is being arranged by the Woodville Lions Club. And the event committee member, Peter Bonza, said once construction got into full swing, the area will be closed off to the public. So this was the last opportunity for people to take in the landscape and see how the highway was shaping up for themselves. The New Zealand Transport Agency said we could all we could get this one in, and then that's it. It's amazing that they're giving this opportunity at all. So proceeds go towards the uh, split evenly between Lions Community Activities Fund and the Woodville School. He said, "There's a limited number of tickets that are available through the Tararua, uh, excuse me, Tararua Eyesight for twenty-five dollars until May the fourteenth. So they're selling pretty fast." Now, Bolton says the walk is well worth it for anyone interested in the highway, which would repl- this is the highway replacing, of course, the slip-stricken Manawatu Gorge that have been shut since April of 2017. So there's lots of, uh, lots of things you can see from the walk. It's 13 kilometres long, and uh, it would take about three and a half hours, but buses would take a pit stop near Tiapati Wind Farm for anyone who wished to take a shorter 7-kilometre walk. He said both routes require a reasonable level of fitness with some steep up and downhill sections so there's a minimum age of 10 years old for the main walk and 5 years old for the shorter trip. Just remember it can be very chilly up there. I used to work in an area up there which was very windy indeed so make sure if you're going to that you put on some warm clothes I would suggest. So I've got a little bit of a jump around some of the articles that have been in the news now. And this one, which has just come out very recently, uh, that rent controls should remain an option, according to uh, Chloe Swarbrick. The Green Party is urging the government to keep rent control on the table as many renters find themselves stretched to the financial limit. But newly released housing Our newly released documents show Housing Minister Megan Wood sought advice from officials late last year on the potential effects of temporary rent controls alongside its sweeping housing package. But earlier this month, Associate Housing Minister Porto Williams poured cold water on the prospect of such measures, saying that she had no further plans in that area. So the latest is that Green MP Chloe Swarbrick said ministers must not rule out rent controls before the public had a chance to debate the matter. 
We should not be taking this off the table, she told Radio New Zealand. We are very much keeping this conversation alive. Swarbrick said Greens had long advocated for renters' rights would have more to say on possible controls in the near future. For far too long, a very select number of people have been able to control the dialogue of what is politically possible in the country. I'm not sure which select few people she is referring to there. Maybe she's referring to landlords, in which case uh, you should, she should take note that it's not a select few. It's many, many uh, landlords who are often just mum and dad type investors with one or two properties. So we'll have more about uh, what was in this report later because it's interesting to see what was suggested to the government and what they actually do, of course. And we will talk a little bit about the pros and cons of rental controls. But, uh, of course, the Green Party and Chloe Swarbrick are seeing the massive capital gains uh, that uh, owners have had in their rental properties and she says they've still found excuses to put the rent up, which I wouldn't say they're excuses. I'd say that they're in response to added costs, largely by government uh, and other sectors uh, passed on um, f- as part of the changes that have been taking place. So let's have a look at uh, this a- uh, an ANZ survey here, and this is on stuff.co.nz. It says that people don't expect the housing market to turn in the year ahead. So the government, uh, just by way of reminder, announced in March it was extending the Bright Line test, let's just call it capital gains, uh, reducing tax deductions on property investments and would step up investment in communal infrastructure to support housing developments. But people aren't expecting the government's efforts to call house prices to turn around the housing market according to this ANZ's latest consumer confidence survey. The ANZ Roy Morgan Consumer Confidence Index rose four points to 115 in April, just a little shy of its historical average of 120, the bank said. On average, people expected house prices to climb a further 6% over the year ahead, which was barely changed on their expectations before the government announced a raft of measures to cool the market late in March. Aucklanders and South Islanders were more downbeat, but that was cancelled out by a rise in expectations for house price rises elsewhere in the North Island. People's assessment of their own financial situation rose to a post-COVID high, with a net 10% of the 1,004 respondents saying that they were better off than a year ago, and a net 31% expected to be better off now than now by this time next year. So it's quite interesting in that uh, consumer confidence report. One thing that we find with these national uh, surveys is that they can be skewed slightly, Uh, by the size of the Auckland market and the proportion of people in Auckland because uh, that's where where if Auckland changes a bit, then it it can easily translate across as national changes when really uh, the regions might be going along perfectly fine. This next article talks about housing supply and it says that this was in Stuff as well on April the 29th, saying that building more houses is the best way to make housing more affordable, according to the advice the Minister of Housing was given before the government announced its housing package. So, so it referred earlier to the advice that was, uh, that was given, and uh, the government, again, is doing nothing. <laughs> it appears to change the actual supply of property. 
So what did they say? They said that increasing, this is what the uh, Ministry of Housing and Urban Development said in their advice to the Housing Minister Megan Woods in December, uh, which has only just been released. It said that increasing the overall supply of new built housing in the right places will have the greatest impact on affordability, which is something that I've believed uh, for, for many years. Woods had asked the Ministry to provide advice on options to increase New Zealand's housing supply and improve housing affordability over the short term. In March, the Government again announced that shake-up of property did include $3.8 billion for the Housing Acceleration Fund and $2 billion for Kainga Ora for strategic land purchases. However, it does go on to... Uh, this particular article goes into a lot of, lot of detail uh, around the, the housing packages. We've covered those on, on the group, on the, on the uh, radio show, I should say, uh, previously, so no need to probably ca- cover those again. Now, pr- house price rises. This article, according to uh, Susan Edmonds of, of uh, stuff.co.nz, that low interest rates get government blame for rising house prices. So very low interest rates introduced in response to COVID-19 have increased house prices, created capital gains for existing property owners and worsening the position of first home buyers. Finance Minister Grant Robertson said in a Cabinet paper outlining plans to change the Reserve Bank's remit. The paper, which again was made public last Thursday, was written in February ahead of the Reserve Bank being instructed to consider the impact of housing when it made monetary and fiscal property decisions. In it, Robertson pointed at bank policy as a driver of increasing unaffordability. He said the removal of the LVR restrictions in response to COVID-19 made it easier for highly leveraged investors to re-enter the market, thus potentially exacerbating price pressures. High population growth has increased the demand for housing over recent decades. Finally, investors are active in the market partly due to favourable tax treatment of housing investment and the widely held view that housing is a one-way bet. Now that's of course his uh, spin on things. The fundamental issue um, is really brought up here by and later on in the article by economist Brad Olson from Inframedics, I should say Infometrics, he said that interest rates were a key reason why house prices had increased at such a frenzied pace in recent times. But he goes on to say, if there'd been more responsive housing supply over the last decade, we wouldn't have seen the same level of impact, but prices still would have gone up with interest rates, just not at such a tearing, screeching rate if there was a greater level of supply. Now, how does all of this relate to us here in the Manawatu? Effectively, the Manawatu has its own, I guess, economy you could say with regards that it's extremely busy a lot of people moving here and the house prices will continue to rise quite substantially because there is a really fundamental shortage of supply and demand so uh, that's going to continue with all the people moving here we're still seeing I was out looking at properties this weekend uh, and I was looking at one that was on the 819 plus category and it was absolutely packed with buyers absolutely packed now, were they investors? No, not so much. I uh, wouldn't have thought because investors, it's a bit harder for them to buy now. But uh, in saying that, uh, there are still plenty of people moving to the area that can afford to purchase properties at that level and evidently a shortage given by the sheer number of people that were at this open home. I, I honestly lost track of how many were there. So there is a question here. Again, from stuff.co.nz, is it too late to get on the property ladder? And this is quite an interesting article by Jill South from late April. 
She says, we've seen extraordinary home sales in real estate markets around the country in recent months. March sales were at a 14-year high, according to the Real Estate Institute of New Zealand. The country saw median prices of residential property increase by 24.3% across the country to 826300 in the month. For house hunters, and especially first home buyers who are desperately trying to buy, each missed tender or outbid auction puts house prices seemingly another step out of reach can feel like the market is leaving you behind. She then says there's no reason for panic. Even if you have not yet managed to buy, that doesn't necessarily mean you've missed out for good, according to real estate, financial and economic commentators. Economists and real estate agents agree the prices are not going to keep going up nationwide at the rate they have been recently. Again, I'll just put a caveat on that, that one or two, uh, they may, uh, in my opinion. Anyway, the economists say that they will keep going up, but more at normal rates, they predict. The market may also ease in the short term as investors keep their powder dry while they digest recent government changes for property and investor taxes. Independent economist Tony Alexander said the sense of FOMO, which is the fear of missing out, recently seen along buyers, is starting to fade. In his most recent survey of real estate agents, 66% said there was still a sense of FOMO, compared with 88% in March, and he thinks this will reduce even further. A net 23% of agents were seeing fewer people at open homes and a net 41% of agents seeing fewer investors. So that's interesting from a national point of view. Again, uh, Palmerston North City in particular, which I've just anecdotally from being out there this weekend, very busy indeed. The Real Estate Institute of New Zealand Acting Chief Executive Wendy Alexander also expects to continue to see house prices continue to rise, but at a slower pace than over the last 6 to 12 months, again talking on a national scale. So vendors who have been holding off and waiting for the best price may start to put their properties up for sale when the market is on a high. Already there are more properties on the market than is normal for this time of year. Sellers, uh, Tommy's Real Estate Nikki Crookshank said the number of homes the agent has on the market is more reflective of a usual January or February rather than autumn April. Sellers are now experiencing their own version of the fear of missing out, said Crookshank. What we've noticed in the last two or three weeks is people starting to make predictions. So people are putting their homes on the market now and stock levels are higher than normal. I don't think there are a few people... I do think there are a few people thinking it's time to sell in case they miss out on the great prices, but still strong demand, I would say that. So you can talk about prices and trends until you're blue in the face, but if you're buying your own home rather than investment, it might not really matter that much at all, particularly if you're buying and selling on a similar market. So the best time to buy is when you're ready, said Crookshank. Everyone thinks they've paid too much when they buy, and then a couple of years later when prices rise, thinks, thank goodness. So if you're waiting for the prices to fall, CoreLogic senior economist Kelvin Davidson thinks we're unlikely to see a big drop in prices in the near future. I don't think house prices are going to fall. He says interest rates are as low as they're going to be. As a first-home buyer, there's not much reason to wait. If you want to own a house and commit to an area and if you're confident in your job and in where you want to live. He does think that any slowing of the market will help buyers feel less pressured. That competition at open homes won't be as strong. There won't be the froth and further to buy just anything. It does buy the first home buyers some time, but I wouldn't be holding on for prices to fall. And if you'd been waiting for prices to fall um, in recent times, you would have been waiting a number of years. So we're going to have bad tenants, bad landlords after the break. Uh, But first of all, we'll just pop on a little bit of music. This is Bob Marley and the Whalers. Get up, stand up. (laughs) 
Listening to Property Matters on NPR Manawatu People's Radio. Te reo, irarangi o Natangata o Manawatu. I'm Greg Watson, lovely having your company. So we've now got the section of bad landlords, bad tenants. Now, in this case, we're starting with bad landlords. Here's the headline from Stuff Man bitten by rat, wall caves in at pest infested and unsafe rental property. Uh, The media just loves these sort of headlines. So a tenant was awarded more than $38,000 after living in a century-old rental that was infested with rats, mice and possums. The tenant, whose name is suppressed, just remember, if you're successful in a tenancy case now, you can suppress your details, uh, took her landlords Victor and Lily Yeo to the Tenancy Tribunal for failing to maintain the house and failing to insulate it, not appointing an agent while out of New Zealand and not returning the bond, otherwise known as throwing the book at them. The house, according to a Tenancy Tribunal adjudicator, Robert Key, was poorly maintained. The, the tenant 
told the tribunal she knew the property was a bit worse for wear when she moved in, but she didn't understand the full extent of the problems. Check this out. The house is infected with rats, mice and possums who lived in the ceilings and walls. <laughs> they would regularly get inside the house and leave droppings or ruin the tenants and her flatmates' belongings. The tenant told the tribunal the constant scrambling, scrabbling noise from inside the walls kept her awake at night, stuff of nightmares, and she found both dead and alive animals inside the house. The constant presence of pests often frightened and repulsed the tenant, she said. On one occasion, when her flatmate tried laying bait, he was bitten on the finger by a rat. Wiring within the house was outdated and badly worn, Key said, and there were no smoke detectors, and that makes the house unsafe and even dangerous, Key said. A wiring fault could have caused a fire, and there was no warning device to alert the tenant and the other occupant if they were asleep. Over time, the condition of the house worsened. The bathroom's northern wall caved in due to water leak damage. A septic tank smelt revolting due to not being emptied when it should have been. The, the key says no reputable property management company would have let such a premises. So just just incredible. Uh, there's more details there. You can look that one up if you want to. But 38000 the landlord has to pay. So be warned, the fines have gone up. Here's another one. Northland landlord turned up at rental late at night, drunk and belligerent. So a landlord who would turn up at his tenant's house drunk late at night has been ordered to pay them more than $18,000. Rona and Richard Pyrangi took landlord Marcus Zanatich to the Tenancy Tribunal for power reimbursement, exemplary damages, harassment and taking their belongings. The tribunal's decision detailed how Zanatich lived next door to the tenanted property on Spains Road in Awanui and how he would visit the rental property frequently and without notice. In the days, early days of a tenancy, Zanatich would often visit several times a day and was frequently drunk, the Parangi said. In one particular incident, Zanatich turned up to the property close to midnight, drunk, Richard Parangi said. He was loud and somewhat belligerent, woke up the household and refused to leave. The Parangi's daughters also caught Zanatich looking in their windows, the tribunal heard. The couple said their daughters were frightened of Zanatich. On one occasion they said Zanatich confronted them and told them they weren't allowed back. Zanatich left for a short period of time and the couple saw him holding an air rifle. They told the tribunal Zanatich then attempted to ram their vehicle with his own. I seem to remember this at the time. Uh, after that incident the couple didn't return to the property and left behind a significant amount of personal belongings worth $20,000. So Zanatich has denied turning up at the house and that any of the events with the belongings occurred. He told the tribunal the family had left property, the property before the end of the notice period and abandoned their personal belongings and rubbish. Um, so the, the long and the short of it says that the adjudicator decided it's extremely unlikely that Mr and Mrs Powering would invent the list and so it's extremely unlikely they would abandon these items unless they had no choice. Blake said Zanatich's actions had been outrageous and unacceptable and his actions had radically deprived the family of their reasonable peace, comfort and privately he was ordered to pay them $18,500. Finally, and it's all landlords today, I'm sorry to say landlords, the third one from Wellington, it's hard to breathe, dampness, mould, return to Wellington flats as a cold weather arrives. So they're talking about a seasonal problem here in Wellington but they're giving a particular example Davinia Stopforth says the dampness and mould at her Wellington flat is affecting her health. It's getting worse and worse each morning, the 20-year-old said. It's hard to breathe. There were mouldy patches on the carpet while the wardrobes and ceilings were plastered with mould, although the landlord had since wiped the mould from the ceiling. We've been trying to make the place livable, but we can't, another renter at Newtown Flat said. Landlord Michael Weaver said he had inspected the property himself and found no mould. They've been making up stories, he said. He claimed he'd been abused by them. I've had all kinds of nonsense from them. 
So Stopforth, however, said she had to be persistent in order to get a response. I had to send him five or six emails. He thinks the place is up to standard. Live here for a week yourself and let's see how breathing goes. Let's see how your health goes. So Citizens Advice Bureau Wellington Manager Jane Julian said mould presented every year in the city as the seasons change from warm to cold. The Central Wellington Bureau was already seeing one tenant a week with a damp flat. It's a common problem with the older housing stock in Wellington. The tenants discover the mould is growing at the back of a wardrobe or along the back wall of a house. Pretty, pretty horrible stuff, really. It was difficult for the tenants to prove their flat was mouldy, Julian said. Landlords would point to a healthy home statement signed at the beginning of the tenancy, often during the summer months, as evidence the property wasn't damp. They can say, hang on, you signed it. You're not taking care of the house, which is a defence that landlords can use against a mouldy house. So healthy home standards due to come into force from July didn't address the problem, she said. Those standards set minimum requirements for heating, insulation, ventilation, moisture, drainage and draft stopping in rental properties and have been phased in over the last two years. Uh, in this case, the only option available to tenants was to pay for a building inspector to look at the property. It's actually quite a good idea. It puts the extra expense then on the tenants and it becomes a he said, she said situation. The owners should be on the landlord to prove that the property is not inherently damp. The tenants at the Hanson Street flat said mould issues were tip of the iceberg. There were holes in walls, doors that didn't sit properly on their frames, lights that didn't work, others that flickered, windows that let in drafts, wallpaper tears and earthquake damage. So there was a dispute between the flatmates and the landlord over rent for an unoccupied sixth room in the flat, uh, which the tenants said smelled of damps. The flatmates believed they had signed onto the lease per room. However, they actually had signed an agreement for all six rooms, so they owed... Uh, about $3,000 in rent. So Weaver, who's a landlord, said, I rent out the whole house. I'm not a boarding house. It's a legal document. It's simple. So the tenant said they've been trying to fill the room but couldn't due to the smell of dampness, the room size, and dangerous loft bread. So it's going to be interesting to see how that's going on. Uh, Weaver said that that uh, all I am is a landlord renting out a property. I'm not a welfare officer. So it's amazing what uh, attitudes some people have. So we'll see where that one is. That one could be next on the list of bad landlord, bad tenants that ends up here on this show with regards to uh, if the tenants do go take them uh, to tenancy tribunals. It looks like it's heading out that way. No doubt they will mention all of these things. Will he have to pay the 18500 of those other folks or the 38000 of the people before? We'll just wait and see. But landlords, again, just a cautionary tale. Uh, most landlords are absolutely fine and the media likes to focus on these really bad situations because it drives the narrative that um, landlords are, are not nice people and, and carries on that vilification of landlords that's very common in the media, very much unwarranted given the proportion of people who have these substandard homes. Don't get me wrong, the people with substandard homes deserve whatever they get thrown at them but, but if you put it as a percentage the number of homes that were uh, below the healthy home standards or were not uh, healthy to rent, it would be a tiny, tiny amount. That's what we don't hear in the media, how well landlords are doing to make sure that tenants are safe and sound. My advice, if you're in a property that's cold, damp or or just a bit miserable, uh, get some independent advice. The Citizens Advice Bureau is good. Tenancy tr- uh, services, tenancy. GOVT.NZ is also good uh, because the landlord does have obligations to your health and safety, particularly also your well-being, of course, mental and physical. So there are obligations there. Explore them. 
and hopefully we'll have less of these bad landlord bad tenant situations. No bad tenants this week though, uh, and that's the end of the show in terms of property matters for this week, and we'll catch up with you next week. It's been lovely having your company. I'm Greg Watson, have a great week. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate.